Hey there, this is Keith Carpenter. I get to pastor Epic Life Church, and it's such a, a blessing that you're watching this today. I want to encourage you to in, um, enjoy this message and enjoy this worship and time. But I also want to encourage you that if you're listening from a different place in this city or in this country, and you have a local church that you're part of, that you invest into that local church. It's really good that we can hear people online, men and women teach and expound on the scripture. But in the long run, we need to go back to our local church and be part of that community. So again, it's a blessing having you here. I pray that this is a blessing to you and I want to encourage you to invest in your local community. Have a great morning. Thank you so much. It's so good to see you this evening. Merry Christmas. And as you're having a seat, please wave to somebody. Uh, it's so good to, I can't really see you. These lights are bright for some reason tonight. So, or maybe it's night. Oh yeah, it's night. So what a blessing it is. And um, we're going to spend about 20 minutes here and um, I'm going to just kind of tell you the Christmas story a little bit. Could you grab me that table? That'd be awesome. Thank you so much. And, uh, and thank you guys for leading worship tonight. Leah, thank you. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. I love getting together with family and sharing time together. Um, have you ever been hiking in the woods, and as you're hiking in the woods, you see a big pile of rocks someplace? Anybody? Big pile of rocks. You know what those are called? Those, those are called a pile of rocks. Yes. Actually, they're called a cairn. And so I'm going to use the word Karen. I'm not saying Karen. Karen is something different nowadays. If your name is Karen, I'm really sad, sad for you. My sister's name is Karen, and uh, I enjoy poking a little bit of fun at her. Uh, but I'm going to say the word Karen, C-A-I-R-N tonight. And uh, uh, the, a pile of rocks on the trail is called a Karen. It's probably from... Irish or Scottish, something like that. If you're walking through the woods, and we grew up in um, Idaho, and so walking through the woods on a trail, you would see this pile of rocks, and they'd be st stacked this high. Some cairns are, are made to um, be a testimony to something or a, uh, a maybe a, a marker for something. A cairn along a, a trail would be a pile of rocks that says you're on the right trail. You're on the right spot. And if there's a pile of rocks, and, and just to the left, maybe, maybe a stack of uh, five rocks right here on the the trail and to the left there's two that means you're going to soon turn to the left up here the trail will go off to the left and maybe in the pile of rock there's there's a, uh, a little couple rocks to the right and that means the trail is going to go off to the right and it's kind of a, a marker a, a way a guide through the trails through the wilderness and so those care and if you have a whole bunch of pile of rocks like there's a pile here a pile here right here if unless it's somebody trying to play a prank on you this pile of rock means the warning be really, really careful where you're going. And so the hiking and uh, the cairns along the way, we would call them as kids uh, a pile of rocks that told us where to go. And sometimes we would play pranks on other hikers by telling people to turn right here instead of left and moving those things around, which you shouldn't really do. It's not really nice to people. <clears throat> in Christian Christianity, a cairn, a pile of rocks, are a couple of really important ones we have. One is Christmas and one is Easter. Those are pile of rocks that are important to us. They're kind of set a, a, a trajectory. Maybe they're a, a landscape. A cairn is kind of this landscape to use to navigate ourselves, navigate a trail. And so uh, Christmas and Easter is often like that. Hey, Justin, could you turn me down just a little bit? 
if you're around, Justin. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> It's really echoey on me. So this Karen, um, Easter and Christmas are often these uh, guideposts along the way. And so Christians actually show up. We have, we have a lot of tradition for Christmas and a lot of tradition for Easter. And coming to church and being around um, the church is really important during these times. And, and actually it's good. Some pastors really kind of chastise people for only showing up Christmas and Easter. And I'm like, you know what? It's good to show up Christmas and Easter. It's it's a it's like a road sign. It's a tri- it's a road sign for us as as people of God, as people to kind of navigate through this world. And Christmas and Easter are important landmarks. Maybe they're a spiritual landmark or an emotional landmark that we use to navigate life a little bit. And some of us have those those landmarks to help us navigate life as well. And there's places um, in the mountains still where I can go and I know that this, this space, this place are, are a place that I have a memory of. <clears throat> this happened all through history. These standing stones or these places of monuments. Jacob did this at a place called Bethel. He laid his head down many, many centuries ago, laid his head down on a rock and went to sleep and had this incredible vision of God coming down and speaking to him and talking about him and changing his name. And he would wake up and set up some standing rocks, a cairn in that spot to remember a landmark. And people, I suppose, still see that landmark there. In Genesis chapter 28, Jacob calls the area a house of God, a cairn, a house of God. Christmas is this this stack of rocks for us, a traditional moment of space for us. That really is all about Jesus being center stage. You know, the the legend of St. Nick comes from about 500 uh, AD. But there was a guy named St. Nicholas. And St. Nicholas in in 300, uh, somewhere around there, I can't remember exactly, uh, somewhere in in, uh, 350 maybe, somewhere in there, there's a thing called the Nicene Creed that happened. Anybody familiar with the Nicene Creed? There was a gathering of Christians, of bishops and Christians, and they all came together to say, you know, we need to have a statement as a Christian community. So 150 leaders from all over the Christendom came together in 350, and they came together and kind of made sure they knew what the Bible said, knew what the scriptures, the importance of the scriptures was, that the importance was centrally on Christ himself. St. Nicholas was in that meeting, and there was a guy named Arius, and Arius stood up and debated his case that Jesus wasn't actually the son of God and shouldn't be our central theme, that we should move back to God, uh, the father of St. Nicholas got really mad at Arius. If you want a good guy to look up to, St. Nicholas after Arius pronounced what he was saying, got really, really mad. Santa Claus got really, really mad. He stood up, he walked across, and he gave a left hook to Arius right across the face. Actually, it was a big slap, but it was hard enough to knock Arius back. That's the legend. I don't know if it's completely true, but I think it is. I want to believe that's true. Sounds like something I would want to do, right? So St. Nicholas was like, no, Jesus is the center, and I'm going to slap you to make my point, and he did really, really hard. Arius left, and the Nicene Creed was written, and they pronounced Jesus as the center of Christendom as a whole. And Christmas is that way. Christ is at the center. In 525, there's a guy named Dionysus, and Dionysus came about, and he wrote this thing called the calendar, deciding that the, the center of the calendar would be at Jesus' birth. He was probably off by a couple of years, but that's where our calendar came up. And so all of, all of time that we know time goes backwards to Christ's birth, and then 
farther back, gaining into the before Christ and after Christ. And so we have our calendar that's based on, centered on Jesus. It's pretty fascinating. The lineage of Jesus is where the start of the calendar is. So I'm just going to talk about Matthew 1, verse 1. This is awesome. This is the Christmas story. Matthew 1, verse 1. Ready? This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Now, I know most of us love genealogies. We love to go to the Bible and open up the Bible and read a genealogy. It's really fascinating, really fun. And actually, the Christmas story and all of Christendom and actually all of history in our calendar and everything points back to this verse, this single verse. And this single verse is really what Christmas is all about. So for the next 20 minutes, I'm just going to talk about this one verse. But to do that, we've got to go to someplace else, right? So the lineage of Jesus is littered with cairns, with stacks of rocks, of historical people pointing to a coming Messiah who would reconcile humanity to God. Imperfect people to a perfect God. To do that, we have to go way, way back And actually, if you go to Genesis and then go through Genesis and into uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and into 1 Chronicles, there's a great uh, story of lineage of of the kings and people, and we're going to talk about all that really quick. But the lineage of Jesus is super important. I don't know about you, but my lineage is pretty amazing. I'm sure we come from kings. Have you seen my boys? They look pretty kingly. And so uh, I'm pretty sure we come from a king, kingly, I haven't found it yet, um, but we're actually related to Edgar Allan Poe. I I don't know how that fits in, but a little weird maybe. But you know our lineage is pretty hard. I don't know how many of you know your lineage back farther than your great-grandparents. I barely know my great-grandparents. And you can go find that, but most of us, we forget beyond our great-grandparents. We don't know our which is weird. We don't have a word for those people. We have great, we just add another great to it. That's all the word we have for that group, right? The great, great grandparents and the great, 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 great grandparents and that we don't even know who those people are. Some of you maybe have done your history and you looked at your lineage, you know those. But the lineage in the Bible was really, really important and it pointed to Jesus. And so throughout Jesus, his lineage is pretty amazing. And I'm just gonna point out a few people because they're really, really important. My family lineage is pretty short. I just don't know it. But for many, many people, the lineage was super important. And in in Luke and in Matthew, you can find the lineage of Jesus, which is super awesome because in Luke, it goes all the way back to Adam. In Matthew, the lineage goes back to a guy named Abraham. Jesus' descendants, the the descendants of the, the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah, is it's really littered with human problems more than anything. We think these people in the lineage of Jesus must have been pretty amazing, like righteous people, godly people, people who done everything right before God so that the lineage of the Messiah would be perfect. And you would think maybe in a book that you're writing that you really want to look good, you would write a book where everybody did great things. The lineage of Jesus, 
is full of not so great things. In fact, you go with Abraham, the very first one, that, that God shows up to Abraham and said, hey, I'm going to do a great thing to your family. And Abraham, by faith, believed, and it was counted to him righteousness that his faith believed in God. But then he would go about lying and cheating and stealing, even though he was a wealthy man that God gave him lots of. But he would be a person who a lot of people wouldn't even want to trust. In that lineage is a guy named Isaac. And Isaac would also be a liar and a cheater. Isaac would betray others. And, and Jacob, then Jacob would betray his brother and steal his, his uh, birthright. And Jacob would be known as a liar as well and a cheat. And at some point, Jacob would wrestle with God. And then Jacob would have a bunch of sons with uh, different wives and one of those sons' name was Judah. And in Jesus' lineage, there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Judah, Judah being the fourthborn out of, out of that lot, out of the 12. And, and Judah was just messed up. He was, he was messed up. He had a couple of sons, and the sons died, and then there was a daughter and a prostitute, and there was some pretty bad stuff going on in Judah's life, the lineage of Jesus. Inside of that was a guy named Perez and a lady named Rahab, who was a prostitute, a woman of the street, and she is in the lineage of Jesus himself. David then comes about the scene, the King David. There was the King Saul, but King David would be the man, the lineage of the kings, and out of King David would become greatness, and, and David would write psalms, and David would write much of the, some prophecy and other things of the Bible, and he would, he would kind of set up a kingdom for the Israelites, but David would murder, and he would take the wife of a murdered man, and he would have a son named Solomon, and Solomon would be the wisest person on earth with 700 concubines. I don't know where the wisdom is, Right? Solomon would be this person, by the end of his life, he would actually turn away from God altogether and turn towards idols. There was a man named Asa who was an evil king. There was good kings and there was evil kings. And some of the kings you read through First Chronicles were evil kings before God. Evil, evil, evil kings. Yet they were in the lineage of Jesus the Messiah. The rock piles along the path of the Jewish history really pointed to the death of a people because they were falling away from God more and more. There was unknown people in this. As we read through these, this lineage in Matthew, we read names that we don't even know who they were. Barely we know who they were. They come from a, a kingly past, a kingly tradition, but nobody really knows. There was once, once somebody said, I'm not sure who it was, said, being related to a horse does not make them a mule a noble mustang to those who believe that nobility by itself is a matter of lineage. And so many, many years before Jesus arrived, he came from a lineage of the kings. Many of you probably come from a lineage of a king. You just don't know it, right? We might be sitting in the presence of nobility, but is there really nobility if we have no idea or don't even act like it? Can people be noble without a nobility in their lineage? Well, it doesn't matter who we are or who we believe we are. What matters is, is who Jesus is and what Jesus said he is and the truth behind that. The lineage of Jesus is littered with human tragedy, with users and abusers, with the used, the user, the faithless and the faithful, the godless, the murderers, the guilty, the unknown. 
That's the lineage of Jesus, which I love this passage because right at the beginning of Matthew, this man, Matthew, sat down. And he was going to present this message of Jesus to the world. And he sits down, and he thinks the most important thing is for us to understand that Jesus came from Abraham. And he read through the lineage. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus and the Messiah. This man was a real man, a descendant of David, King David, and of Abraham, the father of the nation. So because the lineage of Jesus was littered with human tragedy, Jesus enters the scene. The long line of the king faded into distant memory. And unknown generations of names over the years. As the new family, this new family, traveled the treacherous road from Nazareth to Bethlehem that night so long ago. Without a hint of kingly entourage or hope of any kind of kingship in their lives. The Roman occupation had reigned and drew Judea for nearly a century or over. Before that, the um, Hasmonean dynasty and Assyrians and Babylonians and Egyptians and many others had conquered this people. Yeah, there was a kingly line, but they were so far back, nobody really even knew what it was about anymore. Hope of ever regaining a Davidic line of kingship was gone, stamped out by time itself. Silence fell on a conquered but prideful people that night in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. The rock piles along the pathway of the Jewish nation pointed to obliteration, to tell you the truth. They were nothing anymore. They were a a people that were being wiped out from kings and other countries, and, and they were being wiped out. In fact, soon more and more would be killed by the Roman Empire. Those people were being conquered into obliteration. There was warning signs, piles of rocks, and many of them, piles of rocks, warning of the future and pointing to someone, a remote, a distant, and impossible hope. Sometimes we think that our hope is impossible, don't we? We have this space in our, our lives that time has, has hurt our soul. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the Savior, Christ, who was born in Bethlehem that many nights years ago. We believe in Easter and what it point to and, and who Christ was when he gave his life on the cross. But then time happens, right? I don't know about you, but I deal with time all the time. <laughs> time. It has a way of stripping faith away has a way of stripping us away and wondering and starting to question and ask. And I got to think that Joseph and Mary were in the same space, a remote and distant impossible hope. Until for them and the first century, the fabric of space and time was torn apart, opening the door for the Messiah himself. The cairns along the pathway of history always pointed to Bethlehem, and Christ's birth. But time has a way of stripping faith out of our soul. Faith is often disposed of by unexpected length of time. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks about the advent and how the advent we hope for, we look for, we long for, and it takes time and we don't know what to do with time. The children of Israel were wrestling with the same thing when Jesus of Nazareth showed up. And historically, we can see it and we can read genealogies like this that are historically accurate. 
We can go back and read Church Fathers and, and St. Nicholas, an actual man. The, the Church of the Nicene Creed and, and the gathering, actual people who wrote and, and, and were part of. Faith is often disposed by an unexpected length of time. Would the Messiah ever come into our world? Would it ever happen? Yet he didn't come too early or too late. He arrived precisely when he wanted to, to bridge the gap between humanity and God, to reconcile us to God. Well, he did this not as a child. He didn't even do this reconciling us to God, not even with his life. It wasn't what it was about. Jesus didn't come to be a cute little baby, safe and innocent. He didn't come to live a life and preach good words. He wasn't another Buddha or another guru or another Gandhi preaching nice things. He was different. His life was given for covering the sins of the world. Christmas, it's always been about him. It's always been about him heading towards the cross. So we believe the stacks of rocks along our pathway point to one of two things. And we all have stacks of rocks along our pathway, don't we? We all have these cairns along our pathway, and we look back in our history, and we we think about the things that have happened in our life. And we see that monument, that stack that we put there, or somebody else did in our life. We see that stack, and we see that stack, and we see that stack. And some of them we turn right, and some of them we turn left, and some of them we took caution. Some of them are just there, and we remember the precise moment that that stack of rocks happened in our life. <clears throat> and we look at the stacks of rock in our life, and we, we believe it points to one or two, of two things. Either how bad we are and how God can never love us because of what we have done. That stack of rocks back there, right? Or we look at the stack of rock and we think, well, how good we are. And we've done so well that we deserve God's blessing. We deserve God's love. Come to find out it isn't about if he loves us. Not at all. Because he does love us. He's our creator. The question is, do we love him? The question is, can we put our faith in him? Will we turn and receive the free gift that he's given through his son, Jesus? Jesus broke into this world on a daring rescue mission because our good deeds and our bad deeds have separated us from God. Yet God. Yet God. John three sixteen, For God did so love the world that he gave his only begotten son, <clears throat> that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have lasting life, everlasting life. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but he came into the world to save the world through Jesus. <clears throat> Romans three twenty one, And now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. without keeping the requirements of the law. What, what Paul is saying here, he's saying there's a way to be right with God without us having to struggle to be good enough before God. There's no great scale sometime that will, our good hopefully will outweigh our bad when we get to the gates of heaven, some kind of legend like that. That's not how it is. God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as promised in the writings of Moses. 
See, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone to sin. We see this, everyone who sinned, and we think to ourselves, yeah, I know I have, but we look around and go, yeah, but probably not that person or that person or that person. And I think Matthew 1 points to this, this great history of Jesus' of his lineage saying everyone has sinned. In fact, all of the fathers of the faith have sinned, all of them. And, and it hasn't been hidden. It's been written over and over and over about their sins and their return to God and their sin and their return to God, and all those stacks of rocks along their life that they've put up as monuments of memory, remembering what they have done. Yet God says, I love you. For everyone has sinned, verse 23, we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. How can this be? How can murderers and adulterers and people who are people of the night and using and abusing and and how can how can we be declared as righteous how is that possible did they pray enough prayers did they read enough word did they memorize enough did they come before god enough was it something they did to get god's attention to say oh okay i forgive you what was it how could they be declared as righteous well, he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. How did Christ Jesus do this? He was born, he lived a life of righteousness, and then he died on a cross, giving his life for our sins, and then to prove his point, he was raised from the dead. He freed us from the penalty of our sins, from the penalty of all those stacks of rocks we put in our lineage, in our life. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. How beautiful is that? I think often we come to Christmas and we, we can't help it to just think about the presence under the Christmas tree. It's just kind of who we are. We're a people like that. And it's fun and it's exciting to give. Many of us are givers and we love to give. We love to bless other people. Many of us are receivers, and we love to receive. We love to be blessed by other people. And you know, all of that's okay, to tell you the truth. It's okay to have Christmas like that. But my prayer for us as a church, and anybody who's watching online, for people of this world, my prayer is that we can keep Jesus, not just some kind of cheesy tagline, keep Jesus in the center, but actually keep Jesus in the center. Like it means something. Giving gifts have has depth and meaning because of Christ. Receiving gifts has depth and meaning because of Christ. Because he has brought reconciliation. He has bridged the gap between mankind and God himself through his death on the cross. Father God, I thank you that we can celebrate Christmas. And I'm well aware Lord, standing here and being part of the Christian world, if you will, that we have adulterated Christmas in a lot of ways. And perhaps this even was founded around a, a pagan religion at some point. But God, we are so thankful that we can actually just celebrate who you are. We don't have to have a certain day. 
It doesn't have to be on the 25th. But we can celebrate who you are. Remembering, reminding ourselves, stacking another stack of stones on the pathway of life that can give us a memory of who you are and what you've done in our lives. I pray, Lord Jesus, as we gather around this year, around a table to eat, around a fireplace with some coffee, around a a tree, around some gifts, around the living room. Lord, even if we've found ourselves alone this year and we're sitting alone in our own room, Lord, in that space, may we remember who you are. May we remember that you looked at us And you know us by name, and you called us by name. Our name. You sent your son, Jesus, to be born of a virgin in a manger, to live life and to die, to bridge the gap between us and you. God, may we take more meaning and more depth in our Christmas celebration because you are in the center and all roads lead to you and I pray Lord Jesus that we would accept the free gift of salvation so easily and readily given to us just worship you worship you may they not be cheesy Christmas songs May they be songs that worship you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for making it obvious that you are the King, the Creator, and the God we worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, let me pray a prayer of peace over you. Father, I thank you for giving us opportunity to share and worship you this evening. Thank you for letting us celebrate Christmas. And I pray, Lord Jesus, over this community and over the community of of Christians in North Seattle, that you would bring peace, that you bring a place of, of rest and of beauty and your peace that passes all understanding. We know that some uh, we'll be alone, some will be with family, some will be in hard times and, and, and just full of anxiety. So we pray peace over, over us as a community, Lord Jesus. Would you do that? And thank you for the joy that you bring. And I pray that as we go out tonight, we'd be celebrating and enjoy tomorrow and celebration throughout this weekend. In the name of Jesus, amen.